Thank you, Kendrick. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. Good to be with you. And um, Happy New Year to you as well, because I, if I remember last week when I preached, it was the 31st, not the first year. So Happy New Year to all of you. Um, and I pray that you had a good week of rest for those of you who haven't started working. And for those of you who have started working, I pray that you had a wonderful week of getting back to work. Uh, and one of the things that's always joyful is, you know, we get to gather together every week and sing praises together as God's people. Now, like with last week, since the children are with us, one of the things that we have done is prepared a sermon outline for both adults and children. So, you know, you can use them if you like. It is somewhere on your seat yeah, to pick them up. Uh, and you can follow along with the sermon, fill, in, fill in the blank as you see fit. Uh, if there's not one around you, please raise your hands, or you can go to the back and pick up one up for, from Debbie. The whole idea is we want to engage you with the text and with the scriptures, especially with parents, you know, use this as an opportunity to engage with your children. Um, or you can engage with your friends as well. So it's not just limited to the children. You can do that with your fellow brothers or sisters in Christ. Now, I also have my sermon manuscript printed out at the back. So for those of you who are hard of hearing or English is your second language and you find it easier to follow along in a manuscript, you can pick one up again from Debbie at the back. Um, now, two things I want to bring to your attention. As always, one of the things that we want to do is to pray. So there are two things we can pray for. So one of the things that Peter mentioned in his announcement is simply Christianity happening next week. Very important. And from last I've heard, uh, we have 10 people sign up for that, which is absolutely fantastic, and we praise God for that. So one of the things that we need to do, we, we want to pray for the people who are going, pray that God's Spirit will be at work in their hearts, that the gospel message through the gospel of Luke may be preached and taught to the people who are there so that they can, they can hear about the goodness of Christ and ultimately coming to know who Christ is. So pray for the Christians who will be there as well, that they will display and show the love of Christ to these people. Second thing to pray about, very important thing that's happening next weekend, is the youth camp. So Jordan, Annabelle, and uh, the youth leaders, they have been busy preparing for this camp for many, many, many weeks. And it's always a great time for our youth where they can get away and they have an intense time, uh, intense time of fellowship and more importantly, learning deeply from God's Word. So throughout the camp, they are going through the entire Gospel of Mark, which is absolutely great that they are doing that. And so we want to pray, pray for all the youth that they will learn more about Jesus, pray for all the youth leaders, they will lead well, they will um, display Christ well to them. And again, what I've been told, that we have about 30 teenagers sign up, which is, again, absolutely fantastic. And we want to pray that God will work powerfully through that. And lastly, as Peter just mentioned, we want to pray for the senior pastor's search that's coming up, pray for wisdom and discernment for the committee, pray that... Um, that as they interview these candidates, they'll ask and find out more about these candidates, ultimately people who will know and love Christ. So just take a moment to pray, just in your own seat. I will, um, let me invite you to pray just silently, and then I'll lead us in a prayer right at the end. So let's pray right now. Father God, we come before you, and we thank you for the 10 people who have signed up for Simply Christianity. And Father, we do pray that as they come, as they read from your scriptures, read from the gospel of Luke, we do pray that by your spirit you work in our hearts, 
so that Christ may ever be so real to them as they read the scriptures that they get to know who he is and what he has done. And Father, we pray for the leaders who are there as well. I pray, we pray, that you help them to discuss, lead the discussion well, to answer any potential objections or concerns, and really just to show and display the love of Christ to these people. And Father, ultimately, we do want people to come to know Jesus more, so we do ask and pray that, it, that any of those ten people, that they will come and see Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And Father, we also pray for the youth camp that's coming up next week. We do thank you and praise you that we have such a wonderful youth ministry here and that there are about 30 teenagers, youth sign up for that. We do pray for all of these youth that you work in their hearts as they study your scriptures, as they open up and engage with what Mark has said about Jesus. And may they have a faith that is personal to them, that they will come to know Jesus Christ themselves. We pray for all the leaders and all the planning that is st still yet to be done. We do pray that you'll go smoothly so that there will be no distractions for these uh, youth to come to know each other and come to know Jesus. And finally, we pray for the senior pastor's search. We pray for each of the community that we do pray for wisdom and discernment as they interview the two candidates. We do pray that they are able to ask wise questions and the candidates are able to display who they are truly. And ultimately, Father, we do ask and pray, as always, rely and leaning upon you, and we trust that you will find the right person to lead this church. And Father, we do pray for ourselves right now as we come to hear from your word. Work in our hearts so that we may receive, apply, and make your word take root in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me tell you the story of the creepiest sound that someone has ever heard. Right? I, I've told this story before. I don't know how many people remember this. It is a very good story. That's why I'm using it again. This is the story of Russell Moore and his wife, Maria. So what they have done, they traveled to an orphanage somewhere in the former Soviet Union, which is Russia now. And this is part of the process that they had to go through because they wanted to adopt children from the orphanage. So they traveled there, they arrived at the orphanage. A staff member led them down the hallway to meet the two boys that they're thinking of adopting, two one-year-old boys. And they hoped to adopt these two boys. So part of the process, of course, is for them to go there to meet these two boys uh, and see how they're like and to see um, how things go from there. Now the orphanage was filled with babies, but it was dirty, it smelled terrible, it stank, strong stench in the air and they had to resist the urge to vomit because it was such a strong smell. But they mentioned in the book, that wasn't the most uh, worst thing that they saw there. It's not the, most, the thing that horrified them the most. The thing that horrified them the most was the silence. That was the creepiest sound that they have ever heard. Right? This orphanage was filled with babies and yet silence. And they said that if they listened carefully enough, they could hear babies just rocking themselves back and forth in their cribs. 
And they did not cry because they learned to stop crying. No one ever responded to their calls for food or for comfort or for love. And because no one ever responded to them, they stopped crying, these babies. These babies had no parents, no one to love them, and therefore, in some sense, silence in the orphanage. Now, last week, we heard about what it means to be coming from a blessed home. And we saw that, you know, we are so incredibly blessed because we grew up in a family who knows and loves God. And through the parents and the community around us, we learn about Jesus, we learn about uh, growing up, knowing God all our lives. That's a wonderful blessing. But what happens if we did not come from a blessed home? What if we did not have parents who know God? Or we have parents who did not know God? What happens if we have parents who are not perfect and actually living with them is actually really hard? In some sense, what happens if we come from a spiritual orphanage like that? So this week, what we are looking at, we'll be looking at how we should think about ourselves, how we should think about the people around us who may not have the perfect family and what we can do about it. So we're looking at what it means to be a part of a faithful family, a faithful home. And the passage that we'll be looking at is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to chapter 4, verse 11. Now, this passage is printed on your outline. So if you have your own Bibles or if you have your own electronic devices, please follow along there. It won't be on the screen. It will be on the outline. But I'll be referring to this passage throughout the sermon. Now, quick background to the book of Galatians, to the letter of Galatians. Let me tell you a little bit about that. It is written by Paul. Paul was the follower of Christ, and he wrote that letter to the church in Galatia. What's happening with them is that they are being influenced by a group of people who are trying to convince them that, you know what, to be a true Christian, you need to believe in Jesus, and you need to do a bunch of different things. And in that case, it's circumcision. So they are teaching them that you have to believe in Jesus and you have to do all these extra things. Paul doesn't like that at all. And so he wrote them a letter. He's trying to say to them and really convince them, get them to understand, no, 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 the only way that we are saved is by faith alone in Christ. He's trying to defend the gospel message that we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And so have that in, the, in your mind as I read that passage from um, Galatians chapter 3. So let me invite you to stand. I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to chapter 4, verse 11. Follow along either in your smart devices or on the outline. 3.23 Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come will be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is an underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. 
The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather, are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. You may be seated. Three points to be made. Again, we won't go through every single part of this passage, but the three major themes that are from this passage. Point number one, so again, follow along in your sermon outline if you like. Before faith in Christ, we were imprisoned by our worldly thinking and practices. Before faith in Christ, we were imprisoned by our worldly thinking and practices. So that's from chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, and then chapters 4, verses 1 to 3. Two parts of the passage I just read. In the first bit, chapter 3, 23 to 24, he's talking about the Israelites, the Jews, and how they relate to the Old Testament laws. Right? Before Christ came to the earth, the Jews, they were called to, to obey the Old Testament laws, as we saw last week. But notice how he describes these Jews. They were held in custody. They are locked up, imprisoned, in jail, slaved, enslaved. They are imprisoned by the Old Testament laws. Now, the problem is not the laws in of themselves. Right, last week, remember, we saw that the laws are a blessing. The laws themselves, they are good. The problem comes comes from how they think about these laws because they thought that by obeying these laws they can, complete, can be completely righteous and be saved because of their obedience. They had the idea that they are saved by their obedience to the law. And again, in, specifically in, a, in uh, the Galatians uh, context is the law of circumcision. But it's the opposite. See, again, from last week, God has already saved them, and therefore He calls them to obey and act like His people. We cannot be saved by how perfectly we obey the laws because we will never be able to perfectly obey the laws. That was what they were thinking, and Paul describes them as imprisoned, locked up, enslaved. They were trapped by their own thinking about the law. And these are people who know God's Word very well. And this is very similar to those of us who may have grown up in a Christian family, isn't it? In a, from a Christian church. And remember last week I talked about how much of a blessing it is to grow up in a Christian family, in a Christian church, in a Christian community. But the danger from that is that you start thinking that all the good things that you are doing, and you start thinking of them as things that earn you a place in heaven. 
That's worldly thinking. Salvation by works. For example, you know, the blessing of attending church, the blessing of praying and reading the Bible, all those are fantastic things that God has given us. But they can be a trap for us if we start thinking that we are saved because we do all these things. I'm saved because I read the Bible. I'm saved because I attend church or serve at church. Like what Peter mentioned in the announcement is not about knowing about God, it's knowing God Himself. The Bible leads us to Christ. It doesn't end in of itself. And how many of us here, having attended church for many, many years, listened to many, many, many sermons, and yet have never actually believed in Christ? That you know about God, but you never know God. Very relevant to those of us who grew up in a church. Especially growing up in a church, serving in different ministries, but you have never made that faith your own. You have to remember that we are saved by Christ, not by doing all those things. But because you are saved by Christ, through faith in Christ, you do all those things, and they bring us blessings. And then Paul later on talks about the issue of Gentiles before their faith in Christ in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Now for those of us who may not have grown up in a Christian family, we don't have the Old Testament commandments, but we have our own worldly thinking and worldly practices. We are imprisoned by these practices. That's all we know. If you have grown up in a family that does not know Christ, then all that we have known in our lives are all these things that our parents have taught us and modeled for us. We didn't know any better. We're imprisoned by these thinkings and practices without realizing it. And so for us, instead of finding meaning in God, ultimate meaning in God, we find ultimate meaning in the things that we do and the things that we have. And when we find ultimate meaning in those things, we are trapped by those things. Those things then become our masters. We are enslaved by them. That they have such a powerful pull and attraction to us that our entire lives are based around it. Just think about the thing that you love the most in your life. Think about that in, your mom in, in a moment. Just take a moment to think about it. You can write down on your piece of paper if you like. It could be your health. It could be your wealth, how much money you have. And for those of us who are younger, maybe our mobile phones. It could be our gaming devices, our social media. For the others, it could be you know, your house your reputation, your career? What is the one thing that means the most to you? And are you finding your salvation, your meaning of life in these things? The Old Testament people, the Israelites, they treated the laws as their way to earn salvation through obedience. They failed. And if we are finding our salvation in earthly things, we will fail. Or maybe you have already failed and you know that and you're looking for true meaning, you're looking for true salvation. And when we're imprisoned by our own worldly thinking and our worldly practices, we need somebody to come and save us, isn't it? This is where we come to our second point. Second point, 
Through faith in Christ, we become sons of God. Through faith in Christ, we become sons of God. That's chapter 3, verse 25 to 29, and he elaborates that in chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. So let me just read that one verse from verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. Through faith in Christ, we become sons of God. Now, what does the word faith mean? It's a word that we use all the time as Christians. What does it mean? Well, a simple way that we can understand the word faith is to use another word to describe it. A good word that I think we can use to describe the word faith is the word trust. The meaning of the word faith is trust. Faith means trust. So we trust in Christ. Through trust in Christ, we become sons of God. And that is an absolutely remarkable thought. And one of the things that um, I think many people still have in mind, and I talked to enough people about this and talked to enough children about this, is that <clears throat> when they think about salvation and the highest blessing of salvation when, you know, when we believe in Jesus, the greatest blessing that they say is that we get to live forever. We get to go to heaven when we die. That's the greatest, salva- uh, greatest blessing of salvation. No, 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 no. That's not the highest blessing. The highest blessing of the gospel message of our trust in Christ is the fact that we become sons of God in Christ. Because of the work of Christ dying for our sins on the cross, we are adopted into the family of God. God is our heavenly Father. We become sons of God. That's not to say living forever is bad. It is great. It's not to say that going to heaven is bad. It is great. But becoming sons of God gives us those blessings. Let me read you a quote from a Christian author, J.I. Packer, great author if you've never heard of him. This is what he says about adoption. Adoption into God's family. He says this, Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into His family and fellowship and establishes as His children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Through our faith in Christ, we become sons of God. And when we think about God, we think of God as our Heavenly Father, not primarily as our judge. We're meant to see Him as our patient Father who walks with us, who walks beside us to help us in our times of struggle, in times of need, in times of difficulty, in times of joy. And when we think about ourselves, who we are, We think of ourselves first and foremost as a child of God Almighty in Christ. That's for all of us. Not just the children, for all of us. Let's look at what Paul says next, in the next sentence. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Christ, you are a child of God. So it doesn't matter if you are 7 years old or 70 years old, educated, uneducated, born here in Perth or moved here in Perth to live. And let's be honest, it doesn't matter if you come from a blessed home or if you 
come from a difficult home. Through faith in Christ, you become sons of God. And there may be many of us who did not come from a blessed home. And maybe as a result of that, you struggle with many things in life today. Maybe you come from a home with a lot of broken relationships. Maybe your relationship with your spouse has been broken. Maybe your parents are really tough on you and you find it really hard to relate to them. And maybe because of all the things that happen to you or things that ha- you experience at home, you feel like you are a broken person. And even if you do come from a blessed home, your parents are not perfect. They will sin against you someday. But no matter what it is, no matter what your past is, our identity, who we are inside of us, is in Jesus Christ as sons of God. We are sons of God. Listen to Paul describing that reality. Chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His sons into our hearts, the Spirit who calls our Abba Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. You are a child of a perfect God, our perfect Heavenly Father. And that is why, as parents, isn't it the reason why we teach our kids to pray to our perfect Father? Because we know that we are not perfect. And as parents, don't we want our children to come to know this perfect God? Because we know that we are not perfect. And if we have parents who do not know God, isn't it all the more necessary, all the more important that we turn to our loving Heavenly Father? Because we know that we have a perfect Father in Heaven. We know that He listens to us. And therefore we pray, we talk to Him, and we lead our children to do the same. And so let me encourage you all of you today, no matter what life is like at home for you, no matter how hard or how blessed it is, look to God, look to our perfect Heavenly Father. And we talk to Him, we pray to Him. And that's what prayer is at at the heart of it. We are talking to God. Prayer is not just asking things from God. We are talking to God. You can pour your heart out to God and He listens to you. You can tell Him about your pain and your struggles, your hardships, and He listens to you. You can tell Him about your joy and He listens to you. We have a perfect Heavenly Father. We We are His children. Through faith in Christ, we are sons of God. That's an amazing fact. We need to reflect and chew on that. That's the second point. Let's go to our last point. By faith in Christ, we live as sons of God. By faith in Christ, we live as sons of God. So that's chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. Now Paul says something absolutely amazing in this chapter. He's absolutely shocked and amazed. So verses 8 and 9, he says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Now that you know God, or rather, is known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So he's telling the Galatians, you know that you're sons of God. You are free from what you were before. Why are you going back to those things? 
Why do you want to be in prison and be enslaved again? It makes no sense. But yet that's what we do a lot of times, isn't it? We are sons of God, we're children of God, but yet we go back to our old ways so easily. And if we think back to the original story of Russell and Maria in the orphanage, now imagine the baby's there, and someone comes and adopts one of these babies, and, and these, one of these babies, they are now part of a new family, a family that loves him, that cherishes him, and lives with this family until he grows up to be a teenager. But then suddenly the teenager one day comes, you know, oh, I, I can't take this anymore. The rules around the house, they are so strict, and I have, I have to go to school. That's assignment to do. Oh my goodness, you know what? I want to go back to the orphanage. Makes no sense. Makes no sense, is it? The orphanage was a place where he was not loved, he was ignored. Now he's a part of a loving family, completely blessed, learning all sorts of new things. And he wants to go back to the orphanage. Makes no sense. And Paul has the same idea here. You are freed by God through faith in Christ. Sons of God, you're now sons of God. Why are you going back to those weak and miserable forces? We are, who we are now in the eyes of God is that we are sons of God, children of God. And as we live as sons of God, we don't go back to who we were. We don't go back to who we were. And that's incredibly important because for so many of us, for so many of us, we get stuck, we get consumed by our past experience, by our past traumas, and we can't let it go. We blame our exes, we blame our parents, we blame everybody else for all that's happening in our lives today. And when that happens, we end up with a victim mentality, whereby we keep thinking of, of ourselves as the victim, and then being the victim becomes our entire identity. And that shapes who we are. But in Christ, that is not who you are. Don't keep looking back. Look up. You are the child of God Almighty. We live as sons of God. We are not our past. Now, our past experience and trauma does affect us today. Don't get me wrong. Of course it does. But they do not define us. What defines us is our faith in Christ as child of Almighty God. And God says that we are His children. We are blessed beyond our wildest imaginations in Christ. And He calls us to live that out together. I know I say this last week, and this is something that Paul brings up as well. So Moses, if you remember from last week, he addressed the whole assembly. And Paul, when he talks about you being sons of God, that you there is plural. He's talking to the whole Galatian church. We are all together. We are sons of God in Christ. And that's why we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're all part of the family of God. And one of the great blessings, if you remember, is that we get to live together, grow together in Christ. We love, we support, we encourage one another in this community of believers. And so practically speaking, what that means is that in our midst, if there is a single parent in our midst, what do we do? We rally around them, we support them in any way possible. 
We become mother and father figures in the lives of their children, knowing that they may not have the role model at home. We become friends to those who may not have friends. We visit those who might be sick in the hospital or at home. We cook for those who are unable to do so. We provide spiritual counseling or experience counseling and wisdom to those who might be going to the same field or industry as we are. Because we want to walk and live together as sons of God. And so the question to us is this. Are we living as sons of God together? Or are we tempted to go back to our old ways, be trapped in our own worldly thinking and practices, defined by our past experiences? Or are we defined by our relationship to God as His children, our faith in Christ? That makes a world of difference. Makes a world of difference. Let me end by bringing us back to the story at the start. So we have Russell and Maria, they were at the orphanage. They're looking to adopt two boys. And these two boys, they gave them the name Timothy and Benjamin. That's why they were there. So they went to a room where the two boys were. They played with the boys. They hugged them. They talked to them. They kissed them. And on the last day before, they had to go back to the States, to go back to the U.S. And as they leave the room where the boys were in, they heard the scream. Little Benjamin screamed. And Russell said, that the scream changed everything. Because it was at that moment that he realized little Benjamin went from being an orphan to being a son. Somehow, over the, through their interaction with the boys, over the last few days, little Benjamin realized that these are two parents to me. I'm now a son to them. And they became parents to these children. And as you can see from the photos, they were eventually adopted into his family. They grew up as their sons in a loving home. They could have sent money to the orphanage. They could have said to the people that, you know, buy presents for these children. They could send money to buy them a house. All the wonderful things of this world, they did not do that. They did not just give gifts to them. Instead, they gave these two boys themselves. They adopted Benjamin, they adopted Timothy into their own family. He and his wife gave themselves to these boys. And so they were brought into their love and the life of the family. So some of us here, we may not have come from a blessed home here on earth. But you know what we can have? We can have a faithful home. Because a faithful home is a home where our ultimate faith is in Jesus Christ and our true home is with God. And like the two boys in the story, we are now adopted into the family of God, a family of perfect love, perfect communion, perfect delight through our faith in Christ. To be a child of a rich king will be fantastic, but to be children of the king and creator of the universe, that's beyond words can describe. A faithful home will recognize and know that. That we have God as our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for adopting us into your family through Jesus Christ. Well, what an amazing blessing that is. That now 
we don't see you as our judge, but we see you as our Heavenly Father, one who has loved us and gave your Son to us. And Father, for many of us, we may struggle with that. We may not have the perfect family here on earth, but we do ask and pray that by your example, by your Spirit, you will pour that love, your love into our hearts so that we may know that more and more, to experience that more and more. That no matter what circumstances we go through, no matter what our earthly home is like, that we know we have a perfect, wonderful, glorious home in you. So Father, we do ask and pray. We do ask and pray that when we think of ourselves, we see ourselves as your child, as our, your children. And when we think of you, we think of you as our Heavenly Father who loved us and gave us your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now one of the ways that God reminds us of His love is through the practice of the Lord's Supper. It is a visual retelling of the gospel message that Christ died for our sins according to, according to the Scriptures and He was raised on the third day for our salvation. Through faith in that Christ, we become sons of God. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is a reminder of that, a reminder of the gospel message. And parents, if you are here, and this is something that you have taught up to your kids and talked and discussed with your kids about the meaning of the Lord's Supper, and they believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, they are invited, they are welcome to the Lord's table. And if you're here, you're not a Christian, we just ask that you remain seated. Please don't feel pressured to, to come and take the communion elements, but we do hope and pray ultimately that you will come and know Jesus Christ so that God can be your Heavenly Father. Let me say a quick prayer. Father, we thank you for the Lord's Supper, that we can celebrate every single week as your people and be reminded that you are our Heavenly Father, that Christ is our Lord and Savior, that the Spirit comforts us. And so, Father, we do ask and pray as we celebrate that this evening, may your spirit be at work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite the first few rows to uh, stand, to come to the front and receive the communion elements.
Let's come and remember Jesus Christ. This is His body given to us. Let's eat together. And this is the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and grace once again. And we thank you that as your people, we can celebrate the Lord's Supper. Help us once again to marvel at your grace. And now we are your children. In Jesus' name.